The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. Welcome to 1874, The Athletic's podcast all about Aston Villa Football Club. Happy New Year to all our listeners and Happy New Year to you, Holly, and Happy New Year to you as well, Global. How are you both? I'm good, thank you, Dan. How are you? I'm all right. Recovering from COVID, but I'm I'm on the road to recovery now, although Greg's just told me that I'll be going months of feeling rubbish and feeling tired, which was a nice start to the day. Greg, you okay? I'm good, thanks, Dan. Yeah, first take for you with that intro. I'm pretty impressed, given given the amount of podcasts that you now do. Always first take, Greg. Very harsh to try and bring that up and try and throw me under the bus there. Not happy with that at all. Enjoy your trip to Brentford, because I didn't enjoy watching it on the TV. Uh, look, I was really excited about going there, because I'd never been there before. And there were quite a few things that surprised me about First of all, the celebrations after the game, um, you know, how passionate Brentford fans were. And I genuinely couldn't believe how excited they were um, after they'd won. But no, it, it wasn't an, an enjoyable trip because of the result, was it? Holly, same as me. I'm presuming you didn't enjoy it too much either. No, I mean, if I was a Brentford fan, I would celebrate endlessly because they've absolutely robbed three points. I, I feel like considering the performance that they uh, they put on, I wouldn't say it deserved three points but then again, I mean, for Villa to let that slip, I wouldn't say that they deserve three points either. So I was very, very frustrated and just I didn't even go on to Twitter after the game because I just knew I would have made myself even more frustrated about the game. Yeah, Twitter always a dark place when Aston Villa Football Club lose a football match. I was, firstly, I was very annoyed because I was supposed to be there and I couldn't go because of COVID. And then secondly, like Holly says, Greg, I was annoyed because Brentford just didn't have to do a fat lot to come away with with, with the three points and... I think Steven Gerrard got a little bit of a taste in that game as to why Dean Smith lost his job, didn't he? Yeah, it's a very good point, actually, Dan. I think in some ways that looked like um, the Villa under Dean Smith during that horrible five-game losing streak. Um, just very vulnerable, quite weak defensively, um, allowing opposition players to get through them at ease and, and score with the few opportunities that they take that they had. Um, Brentford had three clear-cut chances and scored with two of them and and, requir- and and Emi Martinez made a brilliant save to tip the other one onto the post. So Stephen Gerrard said after the game that he was just frustrated with the way that the players had lost that willingness to win again and I think that was the best way to describe it. Um, I just think that they almost became a little bit complacent and, and just weren't working as hard as they were in the previous games um, under Gerrard. No, I felt a little bit like that, Holly. I felt like when Villa went 1-0 up, it's almost borderline a little bit of arrogance, I thought, from the, from the, from the, from the Villa team. As if the job had been done, they didn't have to do a fat lot to win the game. But in the Premier League, you have to keep going. You can't be complacent because even if the team you're playing is not the best, if you if you don't put everything in, you will lose the game. Yeah, definitely. I think, I, I don't know whether it was complacency or confidence that kind of got the better of Villa in, in the game, but I think for whatever reason, they, they didn't seem to want to necessarily overly push for that second goal. I, it almost felt like they seemed that they would be able to hold out Brentford, but when they've got the likes of Ivan Tony, that's always going to be difficult. Um, after the game and after I kind of called off, I wondered whether maybe having... Ollie Watkins absent, even though Danny Ings does still run up front, you know, Ollie Watkins brings a different level of class to to pressing from that forward role. And perhaps they miss Toro Mings and, and his kind of captaincy and, and how vocal he is during on the pitch. So I just maybe there wasn't that kind of go and get them and c- continue building kind of momentum behind Villa. But 
you know, there was still the slight positives, I guess, with Buendia having a really good game and, and you know, it was really nice for, for McGinn to captain the team. But, you know, Villa have to iron out those issues and Steven Gerrard, I doubt, will let that kind of attitude that was on the pitch on the weekend happen again. Yeah, Mings is definitely missed, Greg. I don't care what anyone says because Concha and Hawes, when they're next to Mings, always look very good. But when Mings isn't there, they're not the same. They're not the same footballers for me. And Toro Mings is so pivotal to Aston Villa. And yes, he makes mistakes. And when he makes mistakes, it's usually quite a, quite a big one. But Aston Villa are undoubtedly a better team with him in it. 100%. And undoubtedly, no disrespect to Courtney Hawes, but Toro Mings is a better defender. You know, He's played more top-flight games than Hawes. There's a reason for that. He plays for the national team ahead of Hawes. There's a reason for that. Um, and Villa, Villa look disjointed when he's not there. It's it's just the only way I can put it. I've been covering this club, you know, for for, for the whole time that Mings has played for Villa. Uh, you know, I've watched almost every single game that he's played, and the good far outweighs the bad in him. Um, I think it's a little bit unfair on Hawes to judge him on one game purely because it's difficult to come into the Premier League um, when you're in and out of a team and be expected to turn up immediately in one game. It's very, very hard. I mean, kind of saw Phil Jones, didn't we, at Man United play really well, having not played for so long. Um, but it, it's difficult. You know, it's hard. It's hard to come in when you're when you're a player um, and, and step into it straight away. If Hawes was to play the next game, for example, which I don't think he will because Mings will be back, um, he'd probably have a better game because he's got a bit of rhythm behind him. So it's difficult in that respect. But I think in general, Villa are much better with Mings around. Yeah, a nice little stat for you here, Holly. I love a stat that, that screams peak Villa and I feel like this one does. As Brentford's first ever goal in the Premier League from outside the area. That breaks my heart. I mean, one. it was a great goal. I mean, he's done really well. Uh, but that, that kind of stat does break my heart, especially because normally I feel like, again, maybe this is because of the absence of Nakamba, but I felt like since Gerard had come in, that kind of screening in front of the defensive four had really improved and had, re- had really gained kind of more of a, a solid backing. So it's frustrating that that kind of goal comes from that area where I felt like we had improved the most under Gerard. So hopefully that's something that is fixed quickly because, you know, we don't want to be <laughs> up in that number even more and don't, you know, luckily Brentford, we don't play them again this season. So, I mean, it was a great goal, so I don't want to take it away from Brentford too much. But yeah, frustrating. The midfield did seem a bit absent, Greg. We've we've all been raving about how good the midfield has been under Gerard, the improvement we've seen under all the personnel that, that have played under him. But it just wasn't there at all, was it? And it, I, again, it's weird because I don't think it was because of anything Brentford did. I just think they all had an off game again at the same time. Although they're saying that. We moved the ball around quite nicely in the first half, in, up until Brentford scored. Yeah, I'd probably have to disagree a little bit with you in terms of the midfield not being there. I thought, as you know, as you mentioned in your second point, Dan, I think that the Villa played some really good stuff in the first forty-five minutes, and I think if they'd have had the confidence or the conviction, maybe not the confidence, more so the conviction to go and get that second goal. I think that was where it kind of fallen away, fell away for them. I felt okay. We're highlighting the defensive mistakes here, and and yes, we're right to do that. But Villa needed to go and kill the game almost and get that second goal when they're in charge. They got into so many dangerous positions, and they were just missing that final ball, or that, or, or a couple of shots were getting blocked, or etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. You're just so close, in that, and those fine margins are the real difference. Um, just felt like Villa were lacking a tiny little bit of quality and conviction in those final areas. I mean, you know, the goal was brilliant. Lovely move from, from Buendia. Great work from Louise again to win the ball in the middle of the park, just like he did at Norwich to, to set 
Ramsey on his way for that brilliant goal. It was Louise again winning the ball in the middle of the park to set Buendia free. And then um, he set up Ings and, 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 and took the goal brilliantly. I think with Ings he comes under a little bit of criticism, doesn't he? But he's got two. He's got a goal every two hundred and fifty nine minutes so far in, in in the Premier League, which isn't a bad return. And I think if Villa can get him playing more often and keep him fit, and and, and get and, and give him some sort of rhythm, then he's finishing will earn Villa a lot of points. But yeah, just looking back to that game, there was just a bit of a lack of conviction up there. I felt I thought Brendier had his best game, but there weren't really much around him. Traore was so frustrating. I mean, that is Traore, isn't it? That, that, that's what he does. We've probably said that in a number of podcasts, Greg. Yeah, yeah. And I think probably him now going to the African Cup of Nations will benefit him because if he can play every game for Burkina Faso, get that momentum and come back to Villa firing because he's had some time out injured, that might work for him. But I could see Stephen Gerrard on the sidelines getting so frustrated with him because he just... Kept, he just he just was on the ball for too long, not releasing it, then losing possession, giving it away. It was just such a frustrating performance for him. I, I know he can be a game changer, but he was he was terrible, unfortunately, on Sunday. That's the thing, isn't it? Stephen Gerrard, Villa Stephen Gerrard, they're, they're short and snappy passes. We move the ball around quickly. If you've got Traore coming onto the ball and dwelling on it, I mean, I know he hasn't really played under under the new regime yet, but... That isn't what we're about now. That isn't what we're trying to achieve, no, is it? No, exactly. And what had been working so well for Villa previously was those short, intricate, slick movements. Um, you know, in the in the attacking areas, and Traore just slowed everything down because he took too long on the ball. Where's El Ghazi? Because he came on and made an impact in the first couple of games for for Steven Gerrard, and he's not really been seen since. And then we're seeing Traore play ahead of him. And get his chance. I mean, I guess Gerard wants to look at everyone before before January, the transfer window. I would I would guess, but El Ghazi hasn't had a start. Yeah, I, I mean, El Ghazi, in my opinion, should be above Traore. Um, I mean, I guess options were limited with Watkins not in the squad at all. But I I would still kind of, in all honesty, put El Ghazi up next to Ings or kind of slightly behind Ings um, over Traore any day of the week. Uh, he's for me, both he works well in the starting eleven and uh, is impactful as a substitute as well. So I don't know why El Ghazi wasn't considered in that starting eleven. Maybe he just had different plans for him. But for me, Gerard needs to figure out. I think the best kind of combinations at the moment is is kind of Ings and Buendia and and Ramsey Watkins. So if he's able to kind of finesse that and get those four players working together in in a front four, then I think Villa could be a real threat in the final third. But at the moment. It, it's those players aren't all connecting together. It's kind of two and two, and maybe El Ghazi can be kind of that more, you know, midfield role that can attacking midfield role that can provide that support and be crucial with with all those players. But I don't know. For me, El Ghazi needs to be back on the bench at the very least and a, a useful substitute for Villa. Yeah, even Trezor guys come on ahead of him. He hasn't played for pretty much a year now, Greg, and we've got to talk about it. it embarrassing. At the end, what on earth is he thinking? First game back with all the cameras that you've got in the Premier League nowadays, why would you try and do something like that? Oh, look, I mean, it, it was it was it was embarrassing. Everybody in the stadium was embarrassed by it. You know, the 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 Brentford supporters were giving him stick, calling him a cheater. Villa fans were just holding their heads in shame, almost thinking, you know, as if one of our players is doing this. But I think more frustratingly for Villa was that he actually had the ball, got himself in a good position, really good position in a really good position he just needed to lift his head up rather than hold his bloody head and 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 
and look for somebody and actually try and find a pass which which could have got Villa an equaliser. Um, yeah, again, another one who goes to the African Cup of Nations now and, and hopefully the, the, the additional game time there for Egypt. Because look, you know, he's a big player for Egypt. He's got a street named after him over there because of his heroics in, in, in helping Egypt qualify for the last World Cup. Um, his reputation is firmly intact over there, but a villa now that, you know, that supporters are a bit frustrated with him because of what he did there. I presume the reason he came on and, and replaced Traore was because Gerard knew that he was going to lose him for a month and, and that Al Ghazi will be around for longer. Um, feel that Al Ghazi, if you are him right now, be so frustrated, wouldn't you? I mean, if, if, if you're watching Trezeguet, Traore underperform and you're not getting, a, you're not even getting on. And Ollie Watkins and, and Leon Bailey are both injured or, or out. When's he going to get a game? You know, it's it's uh, it's not looking too good for him, unfortunately. Um, so if he does get a chance, he's going to need to come in and take it because he might be looking for a move otherwise. You talk about Trezeguet and Traore going to the AFCON, which I've got absolutely no problem with at all. It's international football, they want to go and play for the country, so that's absolutely fine. But they have only just come back, and that is a bit that is a bit frustrating. But we're going to be really short now. The bench was already, you know, that was an academy bench, wasn't it, Greg? We're now looking at being even shorter, just as we've got two players back. Yeah, and look, Villa are active in the market. They're going to be signing a couple of players this this window. Um, I don't, look, there's been so many names linked. I, I don't expect Villa to go massive in this window. I think they'll be looking at loans first and foremost. If they can get a couple, if they can get one, maybe two high profile loans, uh, I think that will suit them. Um, clearly, they need a bit of help. You know, or an additional reinforcement in the attacking areas. They've lost Nikamba to injury. They've lost Traore and uh, Trezeguet to the African Cup of Nations. Keenan Davis has gone out on loan. Cameron Archer will probably go out on loan. As you mentioned there, Dan, yeah, there, there were six under-20s in, in the squad last last week. Um, at centre-back, Josh Feeney, a 16-year-old, was the only defensive reinforcement. You know, if, if any of the back line had got injured, you're calling on a 16-year-old. Um, which okay, he's great for the academy, but you know you've got to be realistic and and say that Villa need a, a stronger bench, and and I'm sure they will. Look, you know, you got Ollie Watkins who's going to come back, Tyron Mings is going to come back, um, Leon Bailey who's due to come back hopefully before the end of the month, so it, it will get stronger. Uh, I think Villa will keep hold of some of their younger players like Jaden Philogene Bedace for a little bit longer until they know what they're doing in the window. They won't let him go out on loan. Um, until they know what's happening, but look, there's only two games. I think two more games in the, in in the Premier League in January, so it's not too disruptive for Villa. Mm. And I guess the final thing is, Gerard won't stand for that, will he, Holler? That 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 is not in his makeup to to tolerate performances like that. You you'll have to see a reaction from the Villa players. One hundred percent, and um, you know, Greg's piece after the game really kind of highlighted that as well, and it it was really uh, interesting to read that. And I just kind of hope that maybe. I'm kind of hoping the disruption and, and the kind of lack of willingness to make sure that Villa were going to win that game against Brentford was down to, you know, the postponements caused by COVID-19 and and not getting that kind of consistent week game week after week. So hopefully Gerard is able to fix it quickly and he'll have those big names back. Like we said, Mings and Watkins are, are pivotal to that team. So hopefully the return of those players will will help Gerard kind of ease the ship and, and kind of get back to winning ways because... Villa, Villa, I think, are a team that that rely on momentum, and it, it, you know, for one one loss, it can already be 
begin that kind of snowball effect. And we saw that at the end of Dean Smith's time at Villa as well. So hopefully it's just a small blip and something that Gerard can correct quickly. But I mean, we've already pointed out, you know, there might be players coming back at the end of this month, by the end of this month, but hopefully AFCON and, and further injuries don't continue to rise up because we'll have a very young bench if if we can't figure things out. Yeah, we want to see Greg writing about transfer incomings and Aston Villa wins again. That's what we want to see. And if you're not already subscribed to The Athletic, you can subscribe right now with a 33% discount by heading to theathletic.com slash villapod. You'll get full access to all our great writing and ad-free versions of The Athletic's podcast, including this one. You'll be able to look at Greg's review of 2021 and much, much more. So make your way to theathletic.com slash villapod and sign up now for a third offer subscription. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Next up for Villa is a league and cup doubleheader with Manchester United and joining us to have a look ahead of those games is Athletic contributor, editor of the United We Stand fanzine and a regular on the Athletic's Manchester United podcast Talk of the Devils. It's a warm welcome to all of us for Andy Mitten. Now, I mean, this must feel like a home podcast for you, Andy, coming on and talking talking about Villa because, you know, Manchester United have such a great record against Villa over the years, all the players, all the all the old staff used to talk about Villa Park being like a home ground. So coming on a Villa podcast for you must be bread and butter. United fans love Villa Park. And I wouldn't say it's just because they associate it with beating Aston Villa. It's because of the association with semi-finals in the FA Cup, because it's quite close to, to Manchester, because it's a great ground and, and Birmingham's a good city. I used to love your, your main stand. I can't believe that that was destroyed and knocked down and... I remember speaking to a Villa fan years ago and he said it was like architectural vandalism to knock that beautiful stand down. Is it on the Witten Lane with the park behind it? So I, 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 I've always loved coming to Villa Park and obviously we've had some, some great times there, but I've always liked Villa coming to Old Trafford. I can remember Villa bringing five or six thousand and filling the scoreboard standing section and some, some really good games. And I, I've got a lot of respect for, for Aston Villa when I was 10 years old, which is a really formative age. Aston Villa won the European Cup. And to me, Gary Shaw and Tony Morley were like superheroes. And in 2017, I found myself covering Birmingham City, Aston Villa, sat next to this guy in, in the press box at Birmingham, which is not a good press box. And it was, he said he used to play for the Villa. And it, and it was Gary Shaw. And I was a bit gutted that he didn't look like he had done in 1982 when he was this blonde haired hero terrorising defences around Europe but 
he was a, he was a really nice guy, and um, yeah, I mean Villa were European champions. How many clubs can say that? Exactly, not not many at all. We don't like to go on about it though, Andy. We don't like to talk about it very often. The fact that we won the European Cup back in nineteen ninety two, as Greg knows, we don't talk about it too much at all. Feels like a decent time to be playing Manchester United, Andy. I'm not sure how seriously they'll, they'll take the cup, Manchester United. I think Villa will actually take it quite seriously this time round. I know Steve and Gerard really wants to go well in the FA Cup, but it's a typical third third round tie for Villa being drawn against Manchester United because it's something that it feels like happens quite a lot. Yeah, we're we're not pleased with the draw because it's a difficult draw. We just see like Manchester City being drawn with the dog and duck, whether they play in Europe or in in English competition all the time and. Manchester United, it's like written that we must draw Derby County or Reading or a big Premier League team at home every single year and it drives us mad and it is a good time for you to be playing United because we've been really poor. You've already done well at Old Trafford this season. I think that United should take the FA Cup very seriously because it's the only realistic chance of winning a trophy this year. A first trophy since 2017. And, and why not take it seriously? It's a competition I grew up loving because the the league title was something that Liverpool won, not that Manchester United ever won. So the FA Cup is, is held in really high esteem. And I remember last year, I actually got sent to Villa Park a year ago this weekend to cover your game against Liverpool for, for television. And I went as a neutral because I was a, a journalist covering it for television. But that re- quickly changed when the teams came out. Because I saw you had a team of like 14-year-olds and I thought, come on, come on. And I started tweeting like, um, they've got to 10 minutes and it's nil-nil. They've got to 11 minutes and it's still nil-nil. 12 minutes and then Villa scored and I went up and I shouldn't have done. But I thought, this is fantastic that football can do this. And clearly Liverpool went through the gears then. But I don't think them young young Villa lads let you side down whatsoever. It's just a shame that there were, that there were no fans there. It's it's going to be tough for Manchester United. St- Stephen Gerrard will be begrudgingly respected by United fans. He, he was a fantastic midfielder. Alex Ferguson always said he was the one player he wanted to sign. And spent a day with Stephen in Barcelona a few years ago and he just gave me loads of grief about being a Man United fan. And I like that. I don't want him to be all pally with me. I wanted him to get on my case and I gave him loads of stick back and he was a brilliant player and Man United fans who knock him for never having won the Premier League or slipping or whatever, yeah, okay, that's what football fans do but Gerard was one of the best midfielders in the world and I've been up to Rangers to see him manage there and the Rangers fans spoke really, really well of him, he did a good job and he's now in charge of a big club. Yeah, he's got a special relationship with the FA Cup as well, hasn't he? And he's had some good days as a player at Old Trafford as well, hasn't he? I don't know. I, I sort of erase them all. Um, <laughs> I remember from, the camera kiss. The camera kiss is leaping out. Of me. Yeah, yeah. See, it's, it's it's all lost on me. Stuff like that. No, it, it was it was brilliant, and he, Liverpool were not brilliant. So in, in Gerrard and Carragher, you had two homegrown lads who were the heart of a team which didn't have a big enough heart, and he 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 was he was a top player, a very different to the top players. Um, in his, his position or similar position, Paul Scholes, Frank Lampard. But I think he was a bright lad. I remember, as I said, he saw me in Barcelona. He was asking me loads of questions about the city of Barcelona. And he, he, he just struck me as someone who definitely wasn't a thick footballer. He was he was an interesting lad and he was very proud. And I also remember his reaction to me as a Mancunian. At first, he was very standoffish. 
And then I told him that I'd seen my dad play in the, the estates near his house in Liverpool against the semi-pro teams there like Marine and Bootle and Formby. And he looked at me in a completely different way. And he was brilliant with me for the rest of the day. He's like, you're from a football family. You, 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 you've you been to where I'm from. And um, it was great. And I I I see that this uh, narrative's been written that he does well at Villa and then moves on to Liverpool. I, I don't like it. I don't know why I don't like it. Maybe it's because I, I'm fearful that he, he continues the good work of Jurgen Klopp if he, if he does go to Liverpool. But I think it's a bit patronising towards Villa, who are, who are a great, huge club as well and have really come up in, in the last couple of years. But I had a lot of time for Dean Smith as well. I had n- numerous interactions with him. And, and he was a great fella. And go back 10 years when he was at Warsaw, eight years, a pal of mine, Dean Holden, who's now assistant manager at Stoke, his daughter died age two on holiday. And Dean was a professional and he was out of contract at Rochdale and he's a Salford lad, a big hard lad and he couldn't get a contract and the word was that his head wasn't right because his daughter had just died. The only person who gave Dean Holden a chance was Dean Smith at Walsall and whatever Dean Smith does in football, I will always be thankful for him giving my friend a chance because Dean went to Walsall, played brilliantly for Walsall, became a fan hero for a Walsall. All the Walsall fans were singing... Everyone needs a, a nutter in the middle to corner shops brim full of Asher. I'm not going to try and do that in a Warsaw accent. And uh, and, and Dean revitalised his career and ended up um, managing at Bristol City and now he's at Stoke City. He's not flown as high as Dean Smith, but I thought it was a real shame when when um, when he had to move on because I understand the reasons why it's about football, but it, 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 it it's great when you have a fan of your club managing your club. Yeah, I mean, Greg... If you go back to that win at Old Trafford, that 1-0 win, Courtney Hall's header, Greg, if you just said at that point, five weeks later, Dan Smith was going to lose his job, you just you wouldn't have thought it possible, would you? No, well, we were asked to do a uh, review of the year at The Athletic for every club writer does a, does a review of the year. And, and I think in my in my piece, I kind of thought, well, this year just hasn't gone to plan. You know, we if... if it was it was the end of November when I was writing the review of the year, which was probably wrong <laughs> anyway. But I said, if anybody had said in September that St- uh, Stephen Gerrard would be the manager of, of Aston Villa after they'd just beaten Man United at Old Trafford, I mean, you'd you'd have, you'd have been laughed out of court. It, it was just incredible the way things turned for him. Um, but look, Villa went on a terrible run, didn't they? After that, after that win at Man United, I thought I thought they were the better team there. I thought they did deserve it. Kayla was a little bit of luck, you know, a last minute goal, and, and then obviously Bruno Fernandez missing the penalty right at the end. But it's something that Villa have been waiting for for so long. You know, you know, Dan going there many times. Villa just don't win there, do they? So to get that one um, off the bat was great. I think it'd be a bit more difficult. In, in the next two games. Um, Andy, while we've got you, I'd love to ask you about Dwight York because I, I know you interviewed him, him recently and um, to, to, I'll be honest, uh, a lot of Villa fans, they tend to laugh at him when he applies for these jobs now and whenever the, a vacancy comes up at Villa, um, a lot of the supporters think, oh, is Dwight going to throw his name into the hat again? It becomes a bit of a joke. That feels very unfair because, you know, you've got to know him quite well and and the hard work that he's put in to try and become a coach. Can you just talk a bit about that, please? I think it is a bit unfair, but I can see why people laugh because Dwight York has has been out of the game um, for so long, except when you dig a bit deeper, he hasn't been out of the game. And I've laughed. I, I can remember 10 years ago, one former Man United player 
um, telling me that he was going to go for the Villa job. And he'd, he'd not been in professional football management for 25 years. And I just thought, you're so completely deluded. The reason I spoke to Dwight York recently, and I, I did know him from Manchester, but not well. I knew Andy Cole a lot better was because two different people told me that he's been in at Old Trafford and Carrington and he's really good. And they said that as like, you don't expect him to be really good. Because the image you have of Dwight York is someone who's a playboy and someone who goes for jobs that he's, he's not going to gonna get. And I kept hearing that he's better than some of the coaches here, his attention to detail. And I'm like, what? Dwight York attention to detail and they're like yes Dwight York attention to detail nobody was saying he was going to be a manager straight away but what they were saying was we have lots of former pros coming in some huge names and some of them think that they can go in the first team dressing room and talking cliches about you've got to have heart and passion which players absolutely hate because the implication is they don't have that character they hate that and Dwight York was actually taking training sessions across multiple age groups. So I dug around a little bit and and then I spoke to him and he, he gave me a good interview. I didn't agree with all the stuff in the interview, but throughout he's been messaging me like, I'm watching this game today, I'm watching that game today. And I'm, I've been asking him for very specific information about players in matches and getting very specific information back. And I think that is a good sign. I think he does need to go in at a coaching level somewhere. One of the points he gave to me when I said to him, you can't just go in at a Premier League club, he's like, or a big club, he's like, why am I different to Steven Gerrard? I'm like, yeah, yeah, because Steven had, had, had not been out the game long. He said, I've not been out the game long. He's telling me that I don't know what I'm doing. He, Do you think it's been easy for me coming from Tobago to establish myself as a young black man in England's top division? He said, I could tell you numerous encounters. I said, what about the playboy? He said, give me one example where I was fined by my manager. There hasn't been one. So I think he played up to that without... He's not a drinker. He's not a big drinker. I've been to a party at his house in Tobago. Trust me, it was not dull. But he was like the social convener in the corner. But he wasn't drinking. He's like, you know, loving the people around him, loving the spirit around him. But... I can I can name lots of former players who would have been knocking back a lot of alcohol, and and he wasn't um, one of them. He's got all his badges now. I mean, it's not it's not easy to get all your badges. No, it isn't. All his badges. He's got he got them all, and he just wants a chance. And he doesn't feel that black managers get the same number of chances. And I think he's absolutely entitled to that opinion. Where does he go in? He, he, he needs someone with him. You know, say if, he, say if he went in at Warsaw, right, he'd need someone with him who knows that division really well. But Dwight assures me he will be completely focused. The geography of his appointment would not be an appointment whatsoever. He spoke glowingly of Aston Villa. He'd been to, I think your chairman's based in New York. He, he wanted to work with Dean Smith. He wanted to support Dean Smith. I know who he supported at Manchester United for the under-23s. And I know he did a really, really good job there. Now, Manchester United's, that, that person, um, Neil Wood, he was actually working for Villa. He got back into football by coaching Aston Villa's under-14s initially for free. And then he moved up your age groups. And because he was a Manchester lad, 
he then got the job at Manchester United. So he's in a really important position at Manchester United. And he's one of the people who speaks really well of Dwight York. And he doesn't need to. He could be saying to me, off the record, yeah, yeah. there's nothing there. But he yeah. doesn't. And that's the reason I did that piece. And why shouldn't you go against the grain in journalism? Why should you conform to cliches? If Dwight York's doing good things, then that needs to be told. But I looked at the comments under the piece and they were pretty much, as, you, as you've said, Skeptical. I'll go and check that. I've not read that piece yet myself, but it'd be interesting to, to see. Well, to read about Dwight, obviously a former Manchester United and Aston Villa legend. And I just want to ask you a little bit about the new managerial appointment at Manchester United because Villa obviously got that that bounce when Steve and Gerrard came in. From the outside looking in, hasn't really been that bounce at Manchester United. Are you surprised by that? Were you expecting one? Yeah, I was. There was a mini bounce just before he came in with Michael Carrick. Three very good results, a draw at Chelsea. Uh, a win at Villarreal, which was probably the best result of the season, and a win against Arsenal. And Ralph Rangnick has carried on. Um, the team was winning up until the Wolves game the other night, but not playing well at all, at all. And fans were worried. Now, I'm conflicted because he speaks really well. He's clearly an intelligent man. He's got an impressive CV in so much as top managers really, really rate him. And yet he's not managed in England before, he's not managed top flight teams. He's been more of a sporting director. So I think one year in the last 10, he's actually been in charge of the team. And it's all about results. And remember when he got the job, one diehard Man United fan who goes home and away said, who's this blagger from Germany? If he's that good, why have Bayern Munich never had him? And why has he not been managing anyone? And then when Manchester United had a couple of decent results, he said, yeah, I'll give him a chance. He speaks all right, this Ralph fella. So that, that's what fans are like. And if, if Rangnick gets Manchester United winning and playing well, then he will get more power to anoint a successor or even continuing the job himself. But so far, it's not been good at all. And it's not just results, because United have beaten Norwich or Crystal Palace by a single goal, not played well. Not played well against Young Boys, uh, played well against Burnley in the first half, played well for half an hour against Palace. So... It's really worrying because if you look at the Manchester United squad, there's so much talent in it, so many big-name players, and they're being remunerated in line with their status, and they're really poor. Wolves were far better than Manchester United the other night, and I can see why Ole Gunnar lost his job. It was really sad that he did because he'd done well last year, taking United up to second. A lot of optimism going into this year. The signing of Ronaldo, Rafael Varane, Jadon Sancho, but Sancho's done nothing so far. Varane's not played enough so far. And Cristiano has done a lot and is the reason why United is still in the Champions League. But you can equally argue the case against him signing because the players around him have regressed. Yeah, just not coming together at all, is it really, for, for, for Ralph and Manchester United at the moment? It's all... You talk about those high hopes as a football fan. You, you thought this was going to be the season and it ha hasn't been so. So... As you're talking, I'm realising the FA Cup is actually really, really important to Manchester United this time around. I mean, Villa haven't won it since since '57, so it's really important to a lot of Villa fans as well. So, should be a, should be an interesting and a good game, shouldn't it? Yeah. Who did you play in '57? <laughs> well, I haven't got a club. Oh come on, Dan. Even I know. I know that. Do you? I don't. I don't know. Do you know? Do you know, Andy? There's only two surviving members of the of that final, and it's I think Char Bobby Charlton and um, Peter McFarland. I think those really? are the only two surviving. Players, yeah, from, from really? that final. Mm. Fantastic. My, my old geography teacher was a Villa fan and 
he would tell me about the Villa team which got promoted in the mid 70s as if they were like miles better than the European Cup winners, <laughs> right? And I got to know one of those players, John Gidman, who was a very good player for Villa. And he moved, he got a move to Everton and then Man United. And you no, know, John was a big socializer. He kept the bars of Birmingham in brisk trade throughout the mid, mid 70s and lives in Spain now. And he's a proper, proper character. And I once got him to ring my old geography teacher and the silence at the end of the phone was one of the greatest moments of my life because <sighs> his villa hero, who we used to watch from the back of the hall end on the right-hand side, was calling him and asking him how he was doing. I love it that football can do stuff like that. <laughs> he's mad, isn't he? I oh, know, he's crazy. Oh, that's a great story. <laughs> Brilliant. If you could choose one, Andy, you win the league game or you win the FA Cup. Which one would you choose? Which one's more important? Because obviously, you know, trying to get into the top four is massively important to Manchester United as well. You could choose <laughs> one. Because as a Villa fan, I'm going, I would choose the FA Cup because I'm desperate for us to do well in the FA Cup and have, have a run and try and have a crack at winning it. But I guess for Manchester United, you know, getting top four is very important as well. It's a really, really hard question. This is what I do, the hard-hitting questions. And I, 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 I feel like you're Paxman in the air and uh, asking <laughs> me for a prediction on a football game. <laughs> I too would settle for the FA Cup this year, but the club and a lot of the fans wouldn't because it's all about Champions League and the money that, and status that, that comes with that in the top four. Now, okay, win the FA Cup and get into the Champions League by, by winning it, but that is so improbable. But the, <laughs> yeah. I, you're, just ask, you're asking me at a low ebb because we're so unconvincing at the moment and it's really, I'll say the FA Cup because if we're knocked out the FA Cup, uh, it's a major problem and uh, I, I do have a hope that Manchester United will somehow find form and league form will will pick up and you do have more bites at the cherry in, in the league so yeah I'd say uh, win the FA Cup game I, I suspect most Manchester United fans would disagree with me I'm almost scared by the way Andy's talking because this is just pointed to Manchester United wins to me they're off form things aren't going well Villa do always seem to be that team that get other teams back on track. Yeah, I think I've said this um, a few times that I feel like a team on bad form or a team getting kind of like a new record or something is always against Aston Villa and it, it's heartbreaking. So I'm kind of hoping that that doesn't happen with the back-to-back games with United. Um, I thought I thought Annie's answer of the FA Cup was quite interesting because I thought maybe, you know, getting knocked out and kind of having less games in the in the schedule would benefit United. And like you said, the stature of the Champions League is kind of the go-to for all United fans. So, um, I mean, personally, I, I want, I'd be fine with us winning the FA Cup game and then losing the league game purely for the fact that it puts us a little bit close towards the final. And I mean, if we won the final, it would mean that Birmingham City fans can finally stop saying how they won the FA Cup more recently than Aston Villa fans, because that's all I hear from my dad's side of the family. So um, I'm hoping for a good performance in the FA Cup. Like you said, Steven Gerrard will want to make a really good impression in that. Um, but I kind of, I don't know how Andy feels, but I don't know how disjointed United might be after the Luke Shaw comments after the defeat to Wolves. Hopefully they'll be, you know, quite disjointed and kind of frustrated at each other. So if anything, I reckon it'll be quite a hostile game. They'll be disjointed because they are disjointed. Luke Shaw's interview wasn't hiding anything. He looked crestfallen because he was. Because the training's not going well, because the new manager's lost three of the coaches who he didn't want to lose. Michael Carrick, Kieran McKenna's gone to manage Ipswich Town and Martin Pert's gone with him. And his face didn't lie. 
and and the performance didn't lie. United have been absolutely terrible. I walked out of St James's Park a week ago thinking, how can so many good players be so bad against a team who've won one of their uh, Premier League matches? So it's a, it's a big game. It's our next game. I think the fact that Manchester United's players have got a couple of days off and then a big lead-in training, hopefully with no COVID, because that's been unsettling for the new manager as well. And then by the time the game comes around, I'll be so up for it. A cup game on a Monday night. Big away following. Shouldn't be on a Monday though. I think it's a decision made for the benefit of television. It's one I completely disagree with. I'm not sure how Villa fans feel about it, but I'm sure you would much rather be going up to Manchester on a Saturday or even a Sunday afternoon than on a Monday night because the M6 has been known at times to have a little bit of traffic at that time. Yeah, they weren't happy. They weren't massively happy. Also, it's the, also it's the FA Cup. The FA Cup on a Monday doesn't doesn't really sit well with me. Yeah, a bit of a sour note to end, Andy, because I've really enjoyed ha- having you on and hopefully, you know, the next time I speak to you, Villa will have taken three points in the league and not Manchester United out of the FA Cup, but we'll, we'll see what happens. But thanks ever so much for joining us today. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. You've had your moment against Manchester United that's this season. That's our, mo- that's our moment that. for 10 years. That's our, our moment and you, for the next you 10 know, years. You know, when that went in, I just thought, this is bad. This is seriously bad. This is like rocking the boat big stat. It was so much more than a, a defeat. All his approval ratings dropped 20% with that goal. Aston Villa are to blame for the nicest man in football losing his job. Have a think about that, Villa fans. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. No transfer news just yet from the Villa men, although the women have done a nifty deal, it says here on the script, Holly. Can you tell us a little bit more about Arsenal's Anna Patton, who signed on loan? Yeah, it's a really good signing. I think it shows a lot about... Uh, Carla Ward's intentions for the rest of the season. She wants to finish on a, a highest note as possible. So Anna Patton is great. I think Villa have struggled defensively. They've been a, a little bit wobbly and also fitness hasn't kind of been in their favour defensively as well. So I think Patton brings a lot of height, a lot of stature to a defensive line. And um, it'll be interesting. It's hard to say how how well she'll perform for definite. She's only had one start for Arsenal this season and f- featured three other times as a substitute. So I'm excited. Like I said, a great player to bring in especially because she's in Arsenal's setup and, and kind of getting that elite level of, of training and around the very best players in the world so I think she'll be a really good addition to the Villa squad. Greg we've already talked about the men's transfers a little bit you're pretty confident that Gerard's going to make some moves? 
Yeah, I think so. Uh, certainly wants to. Uh, he said, look, you know, if they can't get the, the targets that they want to get in, in in January, then they'll wait until the summer. I think we've seen a mixed bag, haven't we, in recent years in, in the winter window. Uh, you know, Mings and Hawes came in vital in, in 2019 on loan. Uh, 2020 was a little bit disjointed, not quite as easy. Villa couldn't sign a striker because not many wanted to come. So they had to get Samata and Borja Baston. That didn't really work, but somehow Villa survived in the Premier League uh, without a striker and, and without really a first-choice goalkeeper. Um, and then last year, Morgan Sanson came in because they felt that they could get a, a, a better, cheaper deal by getting him in quicker. I think this year they'll be looking at a centre-back, a full-back, perhaps a defensive midfielder. If Villa can get a loan deal um, or two, that would certainly appeal. Uh, I've written uh, in a lot more detail in, in the Sensible Transfers article on The Athletic uh, about Villa's plans, some of the players that they've tried to get, um, some of the players that definitely won't be coming. Uh, and some suggestions maybe that they might look at in, in various positions. Look, Calvin Phillips, we know he's a player that Villa strongly admire. Somebody that impossible to get in January, very, very unlikely to get in the summer, especially if Leeds stay in the Premier League. But he is the calibre of player that Villa are looking to move towards. Um, Joe Gomez is another one that, that Villa like in defence. Again, no chance in January. Liverpool won't let him out. But perhaps maybe a chance in the summer. Yeah, interesting. I, I think we'll be busy. I mean, maybe I've got different sources to you, Greg. I think we'll be quite busy as well, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. Let's give a quick thanks again to Connor Harahan for that great interview he did with us a few weeks ago. If you haven't heard that yet, that is going to be the episode before this one on the feed. He was great value, so do go and check that out because Connor gave us plenty of his time and gave us plenty of interesting stories as well. And Global Greg, MLS, you've been speaking to, to Carlos Hill, haven't you? Yeah, it was really good to catch up with him, actually. Um, I hadn't spoken to him at all since since he'd left Villa. Um, the last time I did an interview with him, it was through a translator and, and he couldn't really speak much English. But his English has vastly improved. He's living in Boston now, uh, really enjoying himself at, at New England Revolution. He they almost won the MLS Cup actually last year. Very, very close. You know, lost lost to New York City on penalties in the semi-final. Um, topped the Eastern Conference with the most amount of wins, which was which which was a great season for for them. Um and Hill was the, the most valuable player, which shows how much he's improved since his time at Villa. And look, you know, there's there is a little bit of criticism about the MLS, you know, fans saying that they don't quite think it's a very strong league. Um I asked Gil this and he bit back, you know, and he said, look, you know, how many of these fans that say that it's not a strong lead have watched many games, um, you know, and, and he's played up against every player. So he knows how tough it is, how that league is growing in stature. And you just got to look at the likes of you know, um, the, the players that are moving over there now. You've got Lorenzo Insigne moving over there to Toronto from Napoli uh, at the end of the season. Jack Grealish has come out in, in the last couple of days and said that it would appeal to him after his time at Man City. So that's the type of level that, that league's moving into and, and fair play to Carlos Hill. Yeah, it's always an interesting league, if, if nothing else, the, the MLS. It's, different people can can win it, so I always find it quite interesting when I, when I do look at what's going on in the MLS. And Holly, you and I are linking up a little bit as well for the, the Tra Athletics Daily Transfer Show, so we'll be appearing on that. I think we're on together next week, aren't we? But that is a, a daily show. I think I'm doing two a week. I'm not sure how many you're doing, Holly, but that, that should be an interesting show because everyone loves talking about transfers. And we get nothing off Greg in this podcast, really, transfer-wise. He doesn't like to give things away too much. <laughs> sorry, just Greg's face. Sorry, sorry. I, was just, I, was just, I was just, didn't look amused. You didn't tell us anything. 
<laughs> um, yeah, it'll be exciting to to link up on a different podcast. Uh, although it'd be weird not hearing you start with "Welcome to 1874." But uh, the transfer window is well and truly underway. News is very busy, so uh, for me personally, I do quite enjoy this month. But I will be very tired at the end of it. But exciting times. Always good to be busy, Holly. And there's every chance you will hear me say it's the ICN 74 podcast because I'm all over the place with my intros and outros at the moment with all the different podcasts that I'm doing. Don't forget that discount code. If you head to theathletic.com slash villapod, if you're not already subscribed to The Athletic, you can get a third offer subscription and read all the great stuff that Greg was just talking about. And also check out Andy Mitten's piece with Dwight York as well. That's exactly what I'm going to do straight after this podcast. That's it for today. Fingers crossed for Monday night football in the FA Cup. And finally, as ever, up the villa. Athletic.